0: Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the Bronx Beat podcast of Baseball Prospectus. My name is EJ Fagan, and today I'm not joined by any of our normal co-hosts. I'm joined by of Baseball Prospectus, Jared Seidler, who just recently wrote the top 10 Yankee prospects. So, Jared, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, th- this is uh, this is fun. You know, we we were t- talking about how to how to cover prospects this year, and realized that none of us knew anything about kind of the current crop of yankee prospects because until about a year ago they were all in rookie ball so we thought you know we'd have jared on to talk a little bit about the system to kind of give us the objective point of view jared you're not a yankee fan
1: no i'm a Mets fan okay so, uh, so maybe I a little more a cynical of, yeah, I, I see a lot of yankees baseball because i'm pretty or yankees uh, farm system baseball because i'm pretty close to trenton and staten island so uh, i
0: the trenton yeah. re, uh, stadium is wonderful i love that stadium
1: the, yeah, it's nice. It's real nice. Uh, it's also conveniently located for me—not the residents of Trenton, but it's you know basically right at the end of the Twenty Nine Tunnel. So just kind of hop on. It's also like really convenient if you like live in anywhere in New Jersey, or if you like have a car from New York City, like you just hop right on the Turnpike, get off at Seven A, and it's like six miles and. You basically just drive right in. So. Yeah, just it's don't go nice when it's
0: city. cold outside and the wind's coming off the, the river.
1: Yeah, gets some of those like early April games are just freaking brutal there.
0: Um, so I, I just like to ask you a little bit about the Yankee farm system kind of as a whole. So like this time last year, the Yankees had not graduated Gleyber Torres. Um, they still had like you know, a couple of other guys like Tyler Wade still in the system. Um, but this the kind of like the, the the line on the Yankee farm system at the time was that it was deeper than any farm system anyone's ever seen. Um, is that still the case? Is this still a, a, a top I don't know 10 farm system ish I don't know I don't know if you guys have done your rankings yet in baseball. And um, is that depth real or imaginary?
1: The rankings are done. I don't think they've been released yet. I don't remember offhand if they were in the top ten or just out of it, but they were, like, right on the borderline. I still like this system a lot. It's not as deep as, like, the Rays or the Padres. I'm not really sure it ever was that deep. Uh, but, you know, this is, it, it's lacking the top names, but it's not lacking the top names because they didn't have them. It's lacking the top names because they graduated Gliber Torres and Miguel Andar last year. Uh, and because Clint Frazier's in like that weird purgatory where he's not eligible for lists, but is functionally still a prospect, and Tyler Wade's kind of in that group too. But this is like this this, and we'll we'll talk about this a little more in depth. But this is also this is a very deep system. It's an extremely Yankee system. It's like all low low cost starting pitching prospects and athletic up the middle players. It's like all of them. That literally describes everybody that we put in the top fifteen, and then also three of the four guys we put in like the next group. So it literally describes all of the top eighteen prospects in the system.
0: So what are what is the system good at? What it was you you describe some types of players, but like uh, what's going to emerge out of this system in three or four years that will be a strength for the Yankee roster?
1: A lot of pitching, and and that's you've already seen that at the major league level where you have guys like Jonathan Holder and, you know, and so like one or two of these guys, it's hard to say which one or two, but one or two of these guys is going to do the least Severino and take a big step forward and end up being a frontline starter because they just have so many of them. Like, I don't know whether it's going to be the wise ago or Rowanzi Contreras or Debbie Garcia or Clark Schmidt or one of the Luises. But if you have that many guys with that type of like, you know, ninetieth percentile upside, it's it's you know, you're increasing your lottery balls there. It, and they've just they've picked all these guys up out of like really weird places. There's a lot of low budget international signings. You know, the was a minor league free agent that they pulled out of an international tournament in Nicaragua. They're extremely good at mining. The bottom levels of other teams' farms for prospects that the other team doesn't value <laughs> that turn out to be really good. Um,
0: so, so is the best player in the trade that uh, uh, got the Yankees, Caleb Smith and Garrett Cooper, actually the throw-in from the Marlins, Michael King?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. he's he's a nice, and he's not going to be a superstar impact player he's got a chance to be like a third or fourth starter. We think it's probably a little more likely that he's kind of like a setup arm, but to pull that out of the throw in on a trade that like five people paid attention to when it was made. And was one of the, those deals that they largely made for 40 man clearance, which was also the JK for Louis Gill trade. Like they just keep doing it over and over again. There's two teams in particular that when they call you, on your like short season A pitcher, you should just hang up the phone. <laughs> and it's the Yankees and the Astros because they've done it time and time again, and teams still trade with them because nobody ever learns anything.
0: Do you have any idea why? Like, what the Yan- what magic the Yankees are bringing to this, or is that pretty much a closely held secret?
1: Uh, I-, I think they uh, ha- I think they know their organizational strengths very well. They know what they do well in player development, and they got an awful lot of really good scouts. They just, do like, you see the Yankees, you know, when you're out, you know, watching games, you see the Yankees everywhere. They always have, you know, scouts that know what they're talking about or always on the lookout for these guys. Uh, they scout, like, the complex leagues very heavily, which a lot of teams don't because it's at an expense. But if you pull, you know, one Luis Gill out of the Twins Dominican complex – you know, you've picked up millions and millions of dollars in quote, surplus value. And, and so it
0: seems like the Yankees are they're, – they're being the Yankees, the evil empire in the infrastructure, but not in the players. They're picking these guys up for for nothing. In fact, the Yankees had – I think it was four years ago, five years ago, this big July 2nd spending spree where they went way over the caps and essentially got banned from spending a lot of money in, in subsequent years, in the next three years on international free agents. And I don't see any of those guys on this list. I see a lot of guys they signed in those subsequent years for super cheap.
1: Right. Yeah. Like they pulled like the two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars 300000 signings the next couple of years. But yeah, like your uh, Diego Castillo's and uh, Oswaldo Cabrera's and, uh, you know, all, all those Dominican shortstops that they pulled, the lottery tickets, they don't look like they're going to hit on any of them. Yeah. Um, the next crop of guys after they got the penalties removed does include Everson Cabrera and Antonio Cabello, who are uh, two top five prospects now, and they were both seven-figure guys in the 2017-18 period uh, after they got the restrictions removed. And they also had a nice... uh, nice. They had a well-regarded 2018-2019 period, too, which was led by Kevin Alcantara, the outfielder. But, yeah, like the... I think they had the right idea with that. They just, you know, mm-hmm. part of it's luck and part of it's they picked the wrong guys. And it happens sometimes. But going back a little bit further, like, you know, their big international signing from right before that period was Gary Sanchez. So they have had some success on the big dollar international signings. It's just those two classes in particular didn't work out for them. And, you know, they could have signed Jan Moncada and it would have worked out, but they didn't.
0: Yeah, that might not have worked out. Um,
1: yeah, well. They the, could have at least traded him for Chris Sale, so.
0: I, I've had long fantasy dynasty debates about whether Yomankata is trash or not, and I'm on the trash side. Um but that's another that's another podcast.
1: Sure. Um,
0: so I want to go through the list kind of one by one real quick and skip over the two that everybody here has heard of Jonathan Loizaga, Esteban Floriel, listeners you've heard us talk about that before. And I wanna bring come to the first name that I learned when I clicked on your list for the first time, and that is Antonio Cabello. Uh, he is an outfielder. He is, uh, was signed by the Yankees, as you said, for $1.35 million in 2017. And he's in rookie ball. Can you tell us about Antonio Cabello and why he is the number three Yankee prospect?
1: Essentially, we got really good reports out of the GS- GCL on him, which is the uh, Florida Complex League, which complex leagues like only barely resemble organized baseball. Like the forty games he played for the GCL Yankees were forty of one hundred and fifty games he played during this complex league season, but for weird reasons, those are the only ones that they decide to keep stats for. So when we say the stats mean nothing,
0: so when, can you um, can you uh, be a little more specific here? Because if people haven't seen these complexes, I don't think it. it, it you, you think when you see these stat lines that these are these are you know real teams with stadiums and ticket booths and fans like what what's actually going on in these leagues
1: so it's like a lot of them play in their spring training park which is also many times the high a florida state league park and there is like some small number of attendants like if you're in tampa and you want to go to a gcl yankees west game <laughs> you can but like nobody goes to them they're not played under, like, the tightest roster rules in the world, especially some of these some of these uh, clubs in the GCL and the DSL, which is the Dominican version of that, have multiple uh, teams that they move guys back and forth from. The Yankees are actually one of them in GCL. They have Yankees East and Yankees West, so they have two different teams in the same league. But it's like these guys are playing from March when spring training starts until October – when the instructional league ends and they're functionally doing the same kind of thing because like in extended spring training they're still you know the Yankees team is still playing the Rays team at the same level and they're still playing with umpires and they're playing in a semi-organized manner now you can in those kinds of games you can do more bending on like you know batting out of order and running like 12 man lineups and that kind of stuff because they're not official games but the difference in the quality of the competition that he's playing against in the strict GCL versus what he's playing against in instructs or extended spring is not particularly high. So when you're looking at the stat line for the GCL or the DSL, you're only looking at like a small slice of what it actually is. And it, it's not it's pretty far from organized baseball. It's if you saw it, you would think it was more like a college summer league or that kind of thing. Like it's not, it's not like, it's not like going to, like, the Lakewood Blue Claws or the Staten Island Yankees and seeing, like, a low-level A-ball team. That's just not what the complex leagues are for. These leagues are for learning. They're not really for competition, although they do keep standings for the GCL and they give out rings and that kind of stuff. Um, so Cabello, basically, we got really good reports on his hit ability. Um, people really think he's going to hit for average and hit for some power. He's also athletic. The defense is kind of tricky. He's a former catcher. They moved him to the outfield. Uh, he was He's not like a top 100 prospect, but he's a guy that would have been like the 100 to 150 range uh, probably – the 120 to 150 range because he didn't make any of our uh, like next ten product or anything like that. But he has the same uh, grades as LeWisigal and Florial, uh, and he's kind of not entirely. He's like Florial, like in the early part of 2017, like at that kind of level when Florial was starting to pick up like a ton of buzz and hype, like right before he made his full season debut. That's kind of where Cabello and Pereira are both at right now.
0: Um, just one, other, I just one quick question about GCLs I, I thought of here. Um, how do they get paid? Normally, a minor league club they they take in revenue and they, for the most part, the club itself is paying pay, paying the players. The GCL, it's it's different. No, it's no just, the
1: club, the the, the the major league club pays minor league players. Oh, really? I league know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So they're on a minor league contract, and the minor league contract usually there's a standard contract that pays according to level when these guys are signed and they're making. I don't know in the GCL probably like $1000 a month or $1200. They're making like sub poverty wages, which isn't a, which isn't necessarily a problem for Cabello or Pereira because they got seven figure contracts, but it's a major problem for the kid that signed for 10,000. And that's, you yeah, know, that's something we talk about a lot in the Baseball community right now is minor league pay. So yeah, we've had we
0: had a on a on a podcast about a year ago. One of the lawyers representing uh, minor league players trying to trying to uh, break some of the minimum wage uh, issues. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll link that in the description for anybody who hasn't listened to it in a while. It's a great episode. Um, so exactly might, we might have him again, have him on again soon because I think there's been some interesting updates. Um, but I want to move on to actual baseball. So Cabello, interesting high ceiling um, kind of high hit tool outfielder. Um, next player is a, I think a really interesting sounding pitcher, Devi Garcia, DV Garcia.
1: I think it's Devi, but I'm not a hundred percent sure I can, I can ask the Trenton play by play John Moses at some point. He's <laughs> so, going to be a Trenton this year. So
0: Garcia, 19 years old last year. He made it all the way up to, I think he had one game at double A spent, you know, between in, in the low minors, but still, you know, for a player his age, made it pretty far, kind of a small guy, but he he's the number four prospect here. It sounds like he's got some pretty crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, so it's like he's like a spin rate, dude, if you've been following the spin rate discussions on the Internet over the past couple of years. And spin rate in the minors gets weird because the teams have the information, but it's only selectively made public. There's no equivalent to Brooks Baseball or Baseball Savant for minor league spin rate or anything like that, or minor league velocities. But there is the
0: Yankees pitching coordinator Twitter page.
1: There sure is. (laughs) Now, Danny Burrell is a clutch follow on Twitter. Uh, And the Yankees, I would say, more than perhaps any other team in the league, certainly any other team that I deal with on a, on a consistent basis, tend to be like really open with their information, which kind of starts at cash and goes all the way down the system.
0: Like cash bragging that Aaron Judge is hitting 118 mile an hour you know, balls in double A or
1: Yeah, like if you ask them, they'll just tell you. Uh, so somebody asked that Perl on Twitter about Tommy Garcia's spin rate, and he confirmed that, you know, he throws a curveball and a spin rate that would be amongst the highest in the majors now you don't need to know that to know that he like has a plus plus curveball that's something that people were talking about last year with him he came into a little bit more velocity this year uh he throws a really cool curveball he's got you know advanced pitchability so he does like sequencing and command and that kind of stuff well that's that's, like, code for when we like a guy and like how he pitches but have no actual reason to say say the, pitchability.
0: The dark matter of pitching.
1: Yeah. Um, he's short. He's very skinny. Uh, somebody in the comments mentioned he has a Pedro Martinez build. But for every pitcher that yeah. has a Pedro Martinez build that turns into Pedro Martinez, there's, like, 300 of them that never make it out A. Yeah, I've
0: got a Nolan Ryan build, by the way.
1: Yeah, well, that that's kind of that's a weird one. People don't make cross racial comps like ever. Yeah, uh,
0: it's, uh, I, I'm not sure if you've read uh, the Big Short, not the Big Short, the um, uh, Michael Lewis's book on uh, on psychology. The name of it is uh, The Undoing Project, but he starts off uh, telling the story of, of racial comps in uh, in basketball and how as soon as they uh, one team decided to ban. Uh, uh, co-racial comp, so comparing a black prospect to a black nba player the accuracy of their predictions went up
1: yeah i try to do that as little as possible i don't like making comps in general but i try like when i do make them if i can i try to intentionally make them like weird because it's no fun if you make that kind of comp like you know everybody gets like if, if i'm going to comp anybody in baseball it's pedro martinez it's going to be harold gonzalez a prospect of extremely minor note in the Mets system, and he's literally doing, like, a Pedro cosplay routine on the mound. Like, he copied, <laughs> he copied Pedro's mannerisms, he copied Pedro's jerry curl, he wears number 45, he copied Pedro's pitching motion. He's not going to be Pedro, but if I'm going to throw a Pedro comp, that's what it's going to be on. Um, Garcia's... So the issue here, and this has become an issue with evaluating a vast array of pitching prospects, is you got this short little dude, you know, kind of string bean. He's not that short, but he's, you know, he's extremely skinny. So he's kind of small. He's not particularly tall. Um, He's thrown, he's maxed out at 74 innings over a full season. I have no idea whether this guy can hold up to a major league workload. I just don't. The Yankees probably don't either. So that's that's why there's risk involved. If you were looking purely on stuff, you know, he'd be a little bit higher on this list. I don't know how much higher. It's like really good stuff. It's not as good a stuff as Loisaga, but it's not that far behind. Um, and Loisaga has basically the same concerns that Garcia does, mind you. Um, yeah, not a huge also, guy. Right. He also throws harder and. Has a similar quality breaking ball of different type because Garcia's is more of like a two plane classic curve ball. And the Wise, I mean, the Wise essentially throws a slurve. Some people call it a slider. Some people call it a curve, but it's a slurve. That's not a bad thing, but it's, like, it's either a power curve ball or a slower slider, depending on who you're talking to. But, you know, Garcia, so we don't know what kind of role this ends up being. And that's also okay, too, because teams have gotten a lot more open about what kind of usage they'll use pitchers in. Um, you know, this idea of, like, multi-inning, high-leverage reliever is something that exists now. And the idea that you can still be a starting pitcher and maybe only throw 130 or 140 innings. Now, the Yankees are basically doing that with CC Sabathia, who's, a, you know, a 19-year vet or whatever. So if they're going to do that with Sabathia, they're certainly going to be open to doing that with their younger guys too. Garcia is probably going to be pretty good. He might be sneakily close to the majors too. Like this is a guy that could, if they needed to make that jump and be in either the rotation or the bullpen at some point in 2019. I don't know that he will, you know, as a, as a factual matter, because they have a lot of pitching depth but once you have success in Double A, you can get called up at any time. That's what happened with the lies again, June. So, yeah,
0: hopefully, the Yankees uh, don't need don't need to call him up from Double A, but it's, yeah. it's an option. Uh, let's move on to talk about. I'm going to pronounce his last name incorrectly. Everson Pereira. I think that's right. Outfielder, uh, slightly older than the other guys, I think. Um, but I've, I be, we've heard about him a little bit before. It seems like he came out, out of uh, no, he's actually, a pipe.
1: He, He's actually, he's younger than Cabell. Okay. But he he's been around. He, he was born in 2001, if you want to be really scared. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. also signed in 2017 signing pool. He was one of three guys, I believe, they spent seven figures on, and the third one. Is Ranker Salinas, who's like barely a prospect a year later, so these things can go in all kinds of directions.
0: So, why have I heard of him before? Is he is there is there actual hyper emperor
1: Um, yeah, he played a short season, so he was in the Appalachian League. So he was in a league that much more closely resembles real baseball. So like people were actually watching him play. Um, that weren't scouts or media members or team members, Uh, he's younger than Wander Franco, who's like the Wonderkind prospect in the Rays system, who everybody was remarking was so young for the Appalachian League. Pereira's actually younger than him. And he was fine in the Appalachian League. He wasn't great. It was like an empty 260. But if you're playing the entire season at 17 years old, in a domestic a ball league and you're like not absolutely horrible that's like a real accomplishment uh it not like super impact tools here more projects you know Cabello we think has a better chance to like be a star level player Pereira might have a better chance to be like your roll 45 roll five like third best or fourth best outfielder kind of guy I they both are young enough that it can go in a million different ways, but that's why he's kind of ranked a little bit behind Cabello, even though he's had success at a higher level. Uh, you know, he's he's got – he's probably going to stick in center field if they want him to. Good defensive and speed profile. Uh, has some projectability in the body, which is a nice way of saying he's skinny and might put on weight in the future and might, you know – get some bustle nice swing might add some loft in the future you know just kind of like your nice short season a outfield prospect uh, a young kid have- like
0: him who signs out of panama how much organized baseball is he playing at 14 15 you know 16 before he signs is it like what level of, of baseball is it my impression is that it's a lot of kind of trainer leagues and not not an equivalent to like u.s high school baseball
1: yeah, and another thing that's happened is the guys at that level in international baseball, and this is especially true in the Dominican Republic, but it's also true in most of the other Latin American countries, they're locked up when they're 13 or 14 now. like that. I don't know exactly when his bonus was agreed to, but I would be almost certain it was before his 15th birthday. So there's then this gap period, which can be anywhere from a year to two and a half to three years, where they've already agreed to the contract, and their main goal is to not get hurt to get the contract rescinded, uh which happened to Christopher Torres, who was a Yankees prospect a few years ago that's got traded a few times and is with the Marlins now I think <laughs> um, and, you know so like the development there can be kind of weird and also. Like when these deals are made early, like the players can get much better or much worse in between when they agreed to the deal and when they actually sign. Uh, there was a prospect that signed at the Giants, Marco Luciano, uh, who turned out who agreed to a bonus well ahead of time and improved a lot in the period in between when he agreed to the bonus and actually signed. And that can go both ways. Uh, Kevin Maitan went the other way. The prospect that was the major prospect that got declared a free agent in the brave signing scandal and ended up with the angels. You know, he was probably the best player in his age group in the world when he was 13 and 14. But by the time he was 16 and signed the first time, and certainly by the time he was 17 and signed the second time, he'd gotten kind of big and stiff and the body had went in ways that you wouldn't have wanted. Uh, and he looks like he's going to be a straight bus now. not, it's a little early to say that but he certainly hit it on that level. But, for, yeah, for the most part, these guys are, like, you know, MLB has tried to step in and create, like, the Dominican Prospects League to like, give these guys, like, an organized outlet. But for the most part, they're, you know, in training with Buscones and less in any kind of, like, organized game atmosphere. The international market's just, like, it's very messy. It's very it, it, it's kind of difficult to talk about because you're talking about exploitation of young teenagers, basically. Young teenagers from, from impoverished areas. Often. Yeah, and who are, who are getting waived enormous amounts of money at them and uh, whose rights are often kind of just completely trampled on. This is a topic I feel very strongly about. But that also makes it kind of hard to, you know, it, it's hard to delineate, like, for the... This is why we didn't write Kevin Alpintero. All I can tell you about Kevin Alcantara is, like, third-hand information based on, you know, I've talked to somebody who's talked to somebody who saw him two years ago. Like, it's that kind of information. You know, even when, for Cabello, you know, I I did not see Cabello directly, but I talked to people that saw Cabello, and I did not see Pereira, because I wasn't able to make a happy league trip this year, but I talked to people that saw Pereira, that I... Trust getting that information on guys that just signed out the Dominican or Panama or somewhere like that's just like impossible. So you you know, we're throwing darts in general, but that's extreme throwing darts.
0: And when when a kid is 17 years old and playing in Pulaski, playing in a real a, you know, a real baseball league, um, <laughs> coming out of out of out of Panama, not even coming out of the DR. I mean that to me that it seems like that's got to be you know very. It seems like he's advanced. That, that's a that's a good sign that he's advanced. And you know, like you said, he he didn't succeed really, but he didn't also didn't really embarrass himself there. And so that's kind of like the best the best case scenario. Not the best case scenario, but like that's that's about as good as you could expect a player who's talented. And you know,
1: something we don't talk about nearly enough is the cultural acclimation. Proud problems these guys have. Uh, there was a lot written about Wilmer Flores, uh, who was formerly with the Mets, who was a top prospect out of Venezuela, as well, assigned for a seven-figure bonus, and up becoming a decent MLB player. He just moved on to the Diamondbacks. But he almost quit baseball when he was in the Appalachian League, you know? He, do you know offhand where Pulaski is? I think it's in somewhere in, like, West Virginia. I have no idea. I- yeah. Like you're dropping these kids into the middle of nowhere, like these are it's in Virgi- it's in Virginia proper, but it's in like the West Virginia part. It's in west it's in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, you know, you're you're dropping a 17 year old kid from Panama,
0: and I'm saying there's no there's no Crash Davis there to be like, hey, 17 right. year old kid, you know, I'm going to show you the ropes. Like they're all 17, they're all lost,
1: right. Right. Like there's like, you know, these guys have nutritional problems, they have language barrier problems, they have, you know, uh, a lot of them get homesick. It's just, it's not, we don't, uh, uh, Jeffrey Paranasio, who's the lead prospector writer who I, you know, collaborate with a lot, do a podcast. We did a presentation at Saber Seminar last year, um, about you know some issues in player development, and one of the things we focused on, and we're planning on writing a, a series about this uh, in the spring, is like just how little teams actually do to like support their prospects, which is it's insane given the amount of money here. Like, do you know, the Yankees do more? The Yankees are better at this than most teams. They're still not great. Uh, nobody's great. You know, nutrition is a big problem. Um, Housing is a big problem. Cultural acclimation is a big problem. And I want to stipulate that baseball now is a million times better at this than they were 10 years ago. But they're still deeply lagging other sports and they're deeply lagging where they should be. Uh, So when we say that him hitting an empty 260 in the Appy League is an accomplishment, it's also an accomplishment because he was dealing with all this other crap and also having to go play baseball at night, too.
0: I'm always amazed that players, that, that teams don't do like the really simple one. And I expect not that expensive things like build a dormitory, yeah. right? Where, where, where you, know, you have players, you know, moving, you know, between minor league parks and they're trying to find apartments and all these things. It, it wouldn't be that difficult for some team to do that. And I suspect it would, it would pay off fairly quickly to, to do so. It just, it, I, I assume that the, the, the reason they don't is what, peer pressure from other teams?
1: the league too. Um, this is something that the, you know, you're seeing this in all aspects of the collective bargaining. The league wants con- concessions from the players association to give out extra benefits. And this is something that would be considered an extra benefit.
0: Um, all right. So let's move on to, to, to happier things and talk about, I think the, the first player in some ways, I'm going to say like the, the first, like it's not fair that the Yankees got this guy player. Um, but then I'll remember that. I kind of want JK back. Um, Luis Gill. So, the Yankees acquired him um, for J.K. right before J.K. was going to be Rule 5 eligible. So, essentially, they said, we're going to lose this guy anyway. We might as well no, get him. No, it was the other way
1: around. He was on the 40 man roster, and they designated him for assignment in the spring because they had to add guys to the major league roster who actually made the team. Oh, the Twins. He got he got Rule 5 like two years ago to the Reds.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. Was okay.
1: returned to them, ended up on the 40 man roster. They needed forty man space this past March, designated firm assignment, and traded him for Gill. It's yeah. like a weird trade. There's so
0: many players like this in the Yankees that I I, I get them all mixed up. Uh, you know, the Yankees. Yeah. Have, there's a there's a pretty good bullpen made up of just guys the Yankees gave away because they never roster spot for him.
1: Uh, they do it every year. It's yeah. uh, it's good. Cable to be, prayer. prayer. <laughs> I like cable prayer. Yeah.
0: Um. So, uh, Luis Gill, tell me about him.
1: Yeah, so he's a dude they pulled out of the uh, Dominican complex for the Twins who like, you know, had missed this season with Tommy John or I think it was Tommy John's or might have been so. But he missed the 2017 season and you know, he he had pitched a little bit. He hadn't pitched a ton. Um, it, you know, he's he's a tall kid he throws pretty hard it's an easy pretty hard his curveballs decent his changeups not there yet but it kind of flashes occasionally uh command is kind of a theoretical concept although not quite as theoretical as Luis Medina who I constantly confuse him with because they're basically the same pitcher um but Gil's got more command he's an easier motion uh He's a long way away. Like he's still two years away from figuring out whether he's two years away or not. Uh, I don't think I contradicted myself. Yeah, we had him as twenty twenty two, so it's not too contradictory. Uh, you know, this is a guy that they're probably going to throw in Staten Island this year. Maybe he makes the Sally League if things go really well in spring training. Just kind of an arm, a good arm, a live arm can go in lots of different directions. The Yankees have a lot of these dudes kicking around. Uh, he's kind of the first one that we ranked because it's a really free and easy, like ninety-eight. But in reality,
0: we shouldn't we shouldn't think too hard about the ordinal rankings here.
1: No, like this is where it kind of start. Yeah, you know, the you know, it. Ruanzi Contreras might be better than Luis Gill. Clark Schmidt might be better than Luis Gill. Um, yeah. Trevor Steffen might be better than Luis Gill. Frank, Arce- uh, Frank Herman might be better than Luis Gill. Like, yeah, th- this is where you start to get into. Um, they have a lot of organizational stock in these types of arms. A couple of them will likely take jumps eventually, it could be any of them. Let Uh,
0: let me skip over those next two so we can get to some uh, shorter questions about some of these other guys. uh Clark Schmidt, uh, does he still exist, and um, what should the Yankees expect of him next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, he showed up in Staten Island this year, so he still exists. So a little research project I did uh, when the 101 list came out was pitchers that were kind of – not even really in the mix for the one-on-one the previous year who jumped to, like, the middle of the list the next year. Uh, And one class of pitchers that frequently does that is guys two seasons removed from Tommy John, and that describes Clark Schmidt, like, perfectly. Like, you know, he was pretty good before the surgery. He showed some flashes in his brief stints in 2018. Theoretically now he's fully healthy, assuming everything comes back together, and Tommy John's a lot less of a sure bet than we like to talk about it. You know, it, it's a reasonably sure bet that the guy comes back, but sometimes they don't come all the way back in terms of velocity and command. But the early signs on him were pretty good. They took him really carefully in 2018, but they knew when they drafted him that he was going to, you know, he had already had the Tommy John surgery when they drafted him, I believe. Um, he certainly... I don't exactly remember whether he had it right before the draft or right after, but they knew he had a torn UCL when they took him. And they still took him anyway, 16th overall, which says that they really like this guy. And, you know, it's like, this is a four-pitch lefty, or excuse me, four-pitch righty, you know, mid-90s, heavy fastball, uh, you know, very good slider, Again, we have absolutely no idea whether he can handle a pro or or not. Um, but there's a lot of nice pieces here. We just have to see him throw 120 innings on a mound somewhere.
0: All right, so Chance Adams, uh, a name that many Yankee fans are familiar with. Uh, let me tell you my impression of Chance Adams and tell me if I'm wrong. Um, he had this big breakout season. He was really good in 2016, but I think the real big breakout season was – uh, his, his age 22 season, 2017, he's got this really nice looking ERA. He gets all the way up to AAA. He was just bonkers in A and then was like merely very, very good in, in AAA, at least by ERA. But the field independent pitching numbers were never really there. You know, he had a not so great walk rate. He never really struck a lot of guys out in the high minors. You know, there was a lot of stuff, but people, it, it just wasn't showing up in the way you would expect it to show up. Um, and then he kind of crashed and burned last year. And it felt like that was regression that was due not something that changed about him. Is that the wrong reading of him? Um, or is he really potentially like a a very good starting pitcher?
1: My belief, which is a little bit based on inside knowledge and a little bit based on having seen a lot of chance Adams over the years is that he was compromised by injury in 2018. Uh, and I don't know whether that led to a permanent degradation in his stuff, in his stuff or a temporary degradation in his stuff. I, his velocity was not insubstantially down for most of the season, and his slider was not as sharp, and his command was not there, and we know he had elbow problems, and we know that the elbow problems were recurring in and out during the course of the season. Uh, the chance Adams that threw in 2018 would not have ranked on this list anywhere. He would not he's not a top twenty prospect if you go solely on his 2018. But this was a guy that was before that a top one oh one prospect and not like a low top one oh one prospect. He was like a pretty reasonably high on the list. And he had success in the high minors. Again, not like superstellar success, but good success. And the stuff backed it up. You know, it was fastball mid 90s you know touching 98 uh with you know relative relative frequency you know bordering on a plus plus slider the change up is you know average-ish maybe fringe average so so the the thing about him is that he's a relief conversion he was a mostly a reliever in college he was a reliever in his first pro season. He goes into the rotation, the stuff pops, and then he gets hurt. That would tend to indicate, and especially he's a, he's a fastball slider guy. The Yankees have a lot of rotational depth. I think he's probably going to end up back in the bullpen at this point. And I wouldn't be surprised if the stuff comes back when he ends up back in the bullpen. Uh, This could go either way this season. We'll probably know pretty early in the season, but I'm I'm giving him at least a little bit of a pass because you know the stuff was still intermittently there. It wasn't there in the majors, but there were a couple of AAA starts where there were some real nice reports on him intermittently.
0: All right, last uh, last uh, long question, or I guess last, last normal question uh, might be very quick. Anthony Sigler, is there any <laughs> hope for a switch hitting, switch pitching? Catcher in the major leagues.
1: Um. So the history of prep catchers as draftees is so bad that we're like evaluating whether we should just like ding all of these guys substantially. I, you know, the Yankees were pretty vocal after the draft that he wasn't going to pitch, that they were just going to catch him, um, that he wasn't going to pitch, that he wasn't going to play the middle infield because these are all things he can do. It would be fun if they did. <laughs> so the thing is, if you have a starting catcher, you would never actually want your starting catcher to do that. So if he's that kind of player, he's like more like Isaiah Kiner Fullifa, but also pitches. Like that means he's kind of I don't want to say busted, but come in at like a fortieth percentile or He's not good enough to be a full time
0: starting catcher, but he's right. good he's enough like to be on a 25th, major league roster.
1: Right. It's like a twenty fifth man dude. Uh, which which when you take a prep bat in the first round, you're kind of hoping for more than that. So the answer is it's not impossible that he ends up as that, but if you're a Yankee fan, I wouldn't be rooting for it. I I think I'm rooting for it. We
0: we can spend money on someone better, you know, but
1: we we can't get a
0: switch hitting, switch pitching catcher on the roster without without Anthony Siegler.
1: He's Um, pretty cool. He's pretty cool. um, All
0: right. Last kind of general question. So... uh, what what's the future of this of this Yankee farm system, um, in terms of like in, I don't want to say strategy, but the, the big picture way that they think about this farm system, it seems to me like the Yankees are most comfortable kind of playing that mid level prospect, like signing a guy out of college who's a power thrower for hundred thousand dollars, or you know signing twenty two hundred thousand dollars guys out of out of the DR. Is that, is that the Yankees? Like, should we not expect them to go out and get the, young, the next Yomankata or the next, you know, the big, big-time uh, player?
1: Well, the international free agent market is hard-capped now, so they actually can do that now without spending an enormous amount of money. And because they're the Yankees and, you know, 14-year-old kids in the Dominican Republic, like, know who the Yankees are, they do have some structural advantages in trying to woo that kind of player. It Their draft strategy is... Toolsy up the middle guys and pitchers from major colleges, often in the southeast and the deep south, that like you've just never heard of, and then they all show up throwing three extra miles an hour and with a new pitch like two months (laughs) later. Uh, which is, you know. And sometimes, that, like, you know, Taylor Widener was that guy. Like, they pulled Taylor Widener out of the South Carolina bullpen. And I'm pretty good friends with Mike Bauman of The Ringer, who's a college baseball fan, but also a South Carolina fan.
0: former political scientist, too.
1: Yes, he is. Uh, Michael's awesome. I love Michael. Um, I actually just traded my, like, super deep score sheet league. I just traded for Orioles prospect Michael Bauman, pretty much just the troll (laughs) Ringer Michael Bauman. (laughs) Uh, although Orioles prospect's pretty good too but I so I saw Taylor Widner at the end of the 2017 season he got called up to Trenton during the Eastern League playoffs and we've gotten like some decent reports out of him in the Florida State League But they weren't, like, it was just like, yeah, he's kind of a good arm. So he comes in in the Eastern League playoffs, and he's, like, mid to high 90s with, like, a wipeout breaking ball. And I'm just like, where did this come from? And he was just, like, some, like, random... Swingman, dude. They picked up out of the University of South Carolina in a double-digit round for a hundred thousand dollars, and then all of a sudden, his velocity spiked, his breaking stuff spiked, and they traded him for Brandon Drury. Uh, <laughs> uh,
0: so the, I guess the last little bit here. I mean, do other teams do that? Is they, like I, I hear the stories about the Yankees doing this all the time, but is that is that just like you know the modern you know, modern baseball player development machine, or is that just something the Yankees or maybe a few other teams have like a superpower?
1: The Yankees are very good at scouting and they are very good at pitcher development. They are very, very good at those two things. A lot of it is just organizational knowledge. You know, Brian Cashman has been the general manager of the Yankees for 23 years now, which is an incredibly long time in the baseball community. And before that he was with the Yankees and, you know, he kept around, you know, Stake Michael and a lot of those kinds of guys. for You know, Nardi Contreras was around for years and years. Obviously, Sticks passed away, and Nardi's moved on to other pursuits. But, like, you know, Danny Burrell's been around for a while. Like, they, they just do really good development, and they do really good scouting, and they also focus on specific things. You know, if you have a intense focus on pitcher college pitchers from the southeast that were underutilized by your college programs like if that's something you focus on and you or also know that you're good at developing those guys by focusing on them you can find them whereas other teams you know maybe those guys slide below the radar Uh, but the yankees identify guys that they think they can coach up they acquire them then they coach them up, and then they often become bigger prospects. Sometimes they're then used in a second trade. You know, that's basically what happened with uh, Jorge Guzman. Uh, and, and that's, you know... or And sometimes they become part of the major league team, too, because, you know, their player development's really good. Like, And the the outfielders are the position player version of this, you know. For every... You know, you bring in Aaron Judge is a raw college hitter, and you develop him into Aaron Judge, you know, major league superstar. That that's a big developmental win. That that's, and they do that a lot. They just do. It, it's it, you know, Glaber Glaber Torres. You know, obviously Glaber Torres was a very good prospect when they traded for him, but. You know This guy's a major league star now, and he's a major league star specifically because he had a big power spike that was kind of hard to see coming when he was in the cup system.
0: Jarrett, on that note, thank you for joining me. Is there anywhere, any place that you'd like our listeners to find you online?
1: Yeah, uh, my Twitter is at J.A. Seidler, S-E-I-D-L-E-R. Um, I have a podcast on BP for all you kids out there, which is... Theoretically, the bp it's the old BP Mets podcast that's very occasionally about the Mets. Is often about baseball prospects and professional wrestling and alcohol and other stuff. Um, and I write at BP, the Yankees list went up last week. I believe the Astros list is next, and it's probably going up Friday. Uh, the 101 came out a couple of weeks ago. All of that product is still on there. And the BP annual should be – I think it just shipped. I think I got the shipping notice for mine today, which you can get at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore, whatever. I wrote. I co-wrote the Top 101 Prospects, and I also co-wrote the Astros chapter.
0: So. Jared, thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you for listening. This has been your Bronx Beat Podcast.
1: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.